0: Welcome back to The Shores Church Online. It is great to be with you today. Whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, or streaming on Spotify, thank you for taking a moment of uh, your schedule to study God's Word with me today. Now, let me just encourage you as well, make sure that you like and subscribe, however you're watching or listening today. And consider as you listen to this message, if there's someone you know that needs to hear The message I'm about to share with you, make sure that you share it with them after the the message is done so that God's word can continue to go forward and that Jesus can continue to get that which he paid for on the cross. We are in our ninth week of the the book of Daniel as we study the book of Daniel. So that means we're in chapter nine today. We're in our third week, though, of looking at the different dreams and visions and words that Daniel was getting. And so all of these different dreams and visions and words, they really start leading up to things that were happening in the immediate future for the Israelites. But it's also foreshadowing that which is to come that we see gets tied into the book of Revelation. And today will definitely be one of those uh, weeks where we start seeing not only is there an immediate payoff, but there is a very long-term payoff that is going to happen because of this chapter and this word that Daniel is about to receive. Now, one of the big things that I I always enjoy talking about and bringing out of Scripture is the context. That Scripture always makes the most sense when we put it into the right context. So the last two dreams and visions that Daniel had in chapter 7 and 8 we discussed over the course of the last few weeks how they fit in between chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel when Belshazzar was still king, when Babylon was still the empire in power. However, what we're going to notice very quickly in chapter 9 is King Darius is now in charge. This is year one of King Darius's reign as the, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. So now we have a different uh, king in place, a different empire in place. And so that's going to matter in light of what we're about to read. Now, I oftentimes make the statement that Satan really only attacks and goes after those that are really trying to accomplish something for God. If you're not accomplishing anything for God and you're not studying God's word and you're not in God's word, a lot of times Satan's not going to go after you that hard simply because you're not accomplishing anything. You're not fighting against him. So why would he try and reveal himself or show himself to you? in in the way that he would somebody who is faithfully going after the kingdom of God. And really, I want to paint a picture for you because I cannot prove this. Hear that before I make the statement that I'm about to make. I cannot prove that what I'm about to say is an actual statement. But when I look at the text and I put it in its right context, uh, I I do believe that God shared something with me that I had never seen before in the scriptures. And it's simply that, is when we look at chapter 6 of Daniel, we see in the first year of King Darius, we see Daniel and having to go into the lines then. But then in chapter 9, we're looking at King Darius and Daniel getting this word that's all happening in the same time period. I think there's a very substantial uh, chance that not only are these in the first year of King Darius, I think that they're very close to each other. And I think it's quite possible as we study this today, we'll see that Daniel might have even received the word from the angel Gabriel that we're going to talk about in this passage while he was in the lion's den. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. But I just want to let you know, that's something that I, I find really interesting, intriguing. It's definitely in the same year, Because the lion's den and this uh, word both occur in the first year of King Darius. I think the timing just is too coincidental for it to not overlap. And I know that my God, everything he does, he does on purpose. That being said, before we dive any further into the passage, would you go ahead and repeat after me today? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Well, let's go ahead and we're gonna dive into Daniel chapter 9 and we're gonna start by looking at verses 1 through 3. So, would you read these with me today? In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." Here's the point that I want to pull out of this passage uh, today, that Daniel perceived in the books. Daniel perceived in the books. What are the books? He's talking about all of these uh, books that perceived, uh, preceded the book of Daniel. That he's talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But in this particular case, what he's referencing is actually the book of Jeremiah that was written before the Israelites went into exile in Babylon. And uh, specifically, he's talking about Jeremiah chapter 25. We're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to hear this statement. If we get into the Word, the Word will get into us. Hear that again. If we get into the Word of God, the Word of God will get into us. It's interesting that we can convince ourselves that we can be so busy that we don't get into the word. And when we look at Daniel here, Daniel in year one, we saw this in chapter six. He is one of these high officials that Darius has put over all of the satraps, all these different individuals to make sure that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. He was a high ranking government official and he made time to spend time reading the word of God. If Daniel can make time for the word of God, what's our excuse? If we have time for Netflix, if we have time to watch our favorite uh, sport team, if we have time to go to the movies, if we have time for all of these different things, we have time to read the Word of God. So we should be intentionally trying to read the Word of God because when we read the Word, the Word gets into us. If we don't read the Word of God, the Word can't get into us. And then the Holy Spirit cannot speak to our memory that which we need to know so that we can engage with people who need to know Jesus. The more we study God's word, the more it can change and transform us. So he's reading the book of Jeremiah. He's reading what we would call Jeremiah 25. He doesn't specifically name that passage, mainly because the numbers uh, for chapters and verses wasn't had until much later on. It was more of a modern thing. But what we realize is that they go into captivity for a period of 70 years. We see that being prophesied in Jeremiah And then all of a sudden, we're realizing uh, that these years are coming to a close. How do we know they're coming to a close? Because Babylon is no longer the empire that's in charge. That Belshazzar has now died. Darius is in charge. The Medo-Persian empire is here. The second uh, layer of Nebuchadnezzar's statue is here. The second of the beast from Daniel's dreams is here. So Daniel realizes something's changing. Let me go study God's word. And so that is the, the very thing that he does do. And he starts reading it, and I want to read what he would have read. This is Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12. Read this with me. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Imagine Daniel's excitement when he realized that Babylon is done, that the the term of being exiled from the land is just about done, and he's excited because they're going to be released to go home. This is Daniel's excitement. He realizes because he already knew it to be true, he goes back and studies it to verify it, but he's realizing it's time to go home. Now, first, let's realize why was it 70 years? That feels like a very specific time. Well, there's a reason why it was 70 years. It wasn't just a number that was picked out of a hat because our God is not a God of coincidence. It is a God of planning. And so there was a reason for it. When we go back to the book of Leviticus, We see God giving Moses some specific instructions and laws for the people to obey. This is what he said. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord you shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Now, that's not where God stopped. God then kind of went on to say, if you didn't obey me and observe that commandment and all the other commandments I gave you, that he would remove them from the land and he would scatter them among the nations. This is what Leviticus 26, 34 through 35 says, just a few verses later. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. If you go back and you do the math, the Israelites had lived in the land for 490 years at this point, but they never gave it a Sabbath rest that was commanded by God. They walked in wickedness and rebellion, and they kept moving away from what God was calling them to do. God, in his compassion, kept sending prophets to remind them, but they mocked the prophets. They didn't obey the prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. Finally, mercy had been exceeded, and it was time for justice. So 70 Sabbaths of the land had been ignored, one every seven years, or that course of 490 years. Now, the land needed this rest. God had waited the time period. It hadn't happened, and they never learned. So he removed them and allowed them to go into exile so that they could finally learn their lesson, so that the land could have rest. But they could also realize that this is the God who protects them, loves them, cares about them, and is ultimately going to save them out of Babylon, out of this empire, just like he saved them out of Egypt. So they spent 70 years in captivity. And when Daniel realized that this time was about to expire— he gave his attention to the Lord. Now we must recognize that by our standards, Daniel was such a righteous man, that he would be somebody in scripture that I would look up to, that if you tell me you can be like one person and it can't be Jesus, Daniel would be on a very, very short list of individuals for me. That he knew God's word, he spent time in God's presence, he prayed. He would have been what we would consider a righteous person. But at the same time, what I want you to realize is in this moment, he turns his attention all the more to God. He spends more time in prayer. He spends more time fasting. He puts sackcloth and, uh, and ashes on himself, something that they did at the time. They basically show a visual representation of God. I am so low that I, I can't even wear anything ornate, that I, that I am lowering myself. I am humbling myself as I enter into your presence. Now, what I want you to realize is that Daniel is doing these things so he can turn the spiritual temperature up. He's turning the thermostat up so that the awareness of who God is would be increased even in his life. And I want to encourage you today that if you're walking with God, but you're struggling, look for the things that you can do to increase the spiritual temperature. Maybe it is just the fact of, hey, I've got my Bible. I bring it to church. Uh, I'll read it. I'll I'll watch someone else talk about it, but I'm not engaging with scripture for myself. Or I'm not engaging with prayer for myself. Or fasting, that's nice, it's for someone else. No, start doing those things for yourself. Start realizing that when you want to hear God, that I got to bring my awareness to who God is. And I do that by spending more time with him, by diligently studying his word and seeing what he's speaking to me. Now, I want you to remember for a moment, because we're going to get into something kind of crucial and important here, is that this is all happening in year one of King Darius. This is happening in the same year, at least, that Daniel goes to the lion's den. And I want you to see why it's important. So Daniel becomes aware of this, but now he spends most of the rest of this chapter in a prayer to God. And I'm not going to read the entire prayer. You're more than welcome to do it Uh, because I want to get us to verse 20 in just a moment, where Gabriel starts giving a word to Daniel. But here's the thing I want you to realize. In, In Daniel 9, 5, it says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. I want you to hear the very first word that Daniel says as a part of this prayer is we, He doesn't say the people, he doesn't say they, he says we, he's owning part of this. One of the things I want us to realize that even in our nation, uh, in in the church, that we need to have the attitude of saying we more instead of they. That idea, I'm sure you've heard of it before, that when you point at someone, you're pointing one finger at them, but you got three coming right back at you. Is this kind of idea that we need to always be assessing and looking at ourselves, where can I grow, where can I improve? and realizing i'm a part of the problem too and so daniel has this attitude that his prayer to god is a prayer that's saying we as a people have messed up so god would you forgive us as a people so that's what gets said in daniel chapter uh, 9 verse 5 in verse 6 he is praying about their failure to listen to the prophets and asking for forgiveness in verses 7 through 8 he identifies that god is righteous and that the shame should be on them as people then verses 9 through 10, he asks God to show them compassion and forgiveness. In verses 11 through 14, he recognizes the calamity that they are experiencing for their transgression. Really saying, you know what, God, we brought this upon ourselves. In verse 15, he recognizes that we have sinned. And in verses 16 through 19, he's seeking deliverance due to God's compassion, not their merits. Realizing that, hey, we've, even if we've done good things, God, it's not that which what's going to save us. It's your compassion that will lead us to repentance, that will lead us to forgiveness. So he's praying all these things. Now, here's where I want to tie it back to Daniel chapter 6. You remember in that first year of King Darius, the satraps and all these other leaders put rules in place to prevent anybody from praying to anybody except for King Darius because they were trying to trap Daniel. They were trying to get Daniel in trouble. They were trying to break his will, break his spirit, and they knew that the only place that they could do that with was by going after his relationship with God. And Daniel knew, I cannot allow this this, uh, element of my life to go to the the side. I'm going to continue to pray to God despite all this. And why? Because in this time period, he's now a high official under Darius, that Darius is now in charge. He realizes that his people are about to go home. This is not the time that you back down. This is the time that you continue moving forward. And I have to believe that these time periods are overlapping, that he's realizing what happened in Jeremiah chapter 25, and that the satraps are realizing, hey, we got to shut him down. I have to believe that this was not just a, uh, we don't like him. Let's throw him in the lion's Then but that this was an authentic spiritual battle, that Daniel was helping to pray his people out of the land, praying forgiveness and repentance so that they could go back home, and that the satraps were operating under the influence of Satan at that point of trying to break his spirit so that he would not pray these things. But Daniel is praying forgiveness over the people. And again, I can't prove that these timelines overlap, but I think it's really intriguing and really interesting that Daniel is praying uh, in the first year, about going back home, and the satraps are trying to shut down the prayers. So, now here's our next point, and this is going to lead us into our next passage in just a moment. Gabriel arrives. We saw Gabriel last week. We talked about how he's only mentioned four times by direct name in Scripture. And this is the second one that happens. So he's praying and he's seeking the repentance of the people. He's seeking forgiveness from God for the people. And Gabriel comes and reveals another prophetic piece of the puzzle. And now this has some immediate impact for the Israelites, but it also has long-term impact for us as people today as it ties into the book of Revelation. We're going to dive all into this, and I'm going to be explaining a passage of Scripture that probably to many of you has been very confusing if you've read it in the past. And what does this look like and what does this mean? And we're going to break it all down in just a moment. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. Read this with me. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks." Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there's a whole lot going on here, but here's the point that comes out of this is the 70 weeks. Many of you, if you've ever studied the book of Revelation or Daniel, you've heard this kind of concept of Daniel's 70 weeks, and we're about to break it down to what it actually means and what it represents. Now, in the English language, there's only one meaning to the word week. We think a seven-day time period. And if we're thinking a seven-day time period in this, we are not going to come up with the right answer simply because we're forcing a language that was developed later onto the text. Now, this is how it gets translated, but ultimately, in the Hebrew, it refers to, the word weeks refers to a group of seven time periods. So, for example, you could have a week of hours, of days, of days. Of years. In this case, when we understand it and we compare it to the prophecy and other passages and we allow the Bible to interpret itself, what we realize is that weeks of years are being referenced here and each week is seven years. So 70 times seven, which would be uh, that 490 years, which coincidentally matches up with this time period that we've already experienced because they weren't faithful to give the land rest. Again, God's not a God of coincidence. God is a God of intentionality. And so he, what's really happening to start with is Gabriel is telling him like, look, look, yes, you've been in exile for 70 years. Yes, it's time to go home, but the Jewish people aren't completely right yet. God's going he's making a way, he's preparing a way, but they're not completely right yet. And here's what this process is going to look like. for your people, that 70 weeks or 490 years have been decreed for Daniel's people, the Jews. The purpose of these 490 years is for six things to be accomplished. To finish the transgression. The word transgression literally means rebellion. So the rebellion is going to be finished. And although God's people were in continual rebellion against him, they would one day come to a point where they would never rebel again. The second thing is to make an end to sin. The sin of God's people would also be completely done away with. The third thing that it was going to do was to make atonement for iniquity, that somehow all the iniquity that is in our heart, all the wrongdoing, would be paid for. The fourth thing is to bring in everlasting righteousness. The promise was that at some point a kingdom of righteousness that would never end would be set up and would be put in place. The fifth thing was to seal up the visions in the prophecy. The prophetic visions and the messages and the words that God had spoken to people would all be fulfilled. And then number six is to anoint the most holy place, that God's holy temple would once again be established. So these six things are to be accomplished in this 490-year time period. However, when we look at the 490 years that precede this time period, we don't see all those things accomplished. We actually only see one, and that was number three, the atonement for iniquity. So what's really going on here? What does this time period really look like? How does it play out? Let's dive in, let's break it down. That the first thing that was said is that the issuing of a decree until the Messiah, the Prince. Now, here's what I want you to realize, is that time goes by, and uh, when we, we look at it, many years actually go by, we know historically that there is a decree that Artaxerxes gave uh, in Nehemiah 2 We know that historically it came on March 14th of 445 BC and that the prophecy of the Messiah, not a baby Messiah, but Messiah the prince, uh, the, the, the king. Zechariah 9.9 9 tells us this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Before Jesus was crucified, he sent two disciples in to get this donkey and this colt. And he rides into them. And then just a week later, he's put to death and ultimately gets resurrected. And as we know, goes back up into heaven. The date for this was April 6, 32 AD. So this is where the math comes in. All Bible prophecy is based on a 360-day year. Uh, calendar that was the Babylonian calendar, because they didn't operate off of our calendar that we do today. That's why a lot of the Jewish holidays, you can see them kind of shifting and changing on a year-to-year basis. So we're going to take 69 weeks of years. So 69 times seven is 483 years. And 483 years of uh, with 360 days results in 173,880 days and when we look at the calendars, if you start at the day of the decree, just like Gabriel said on March 14th, 445 BC, and counted off all of those days, you would arrive at uh, April 6, 32 AD, the very day of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Notice that that 69 years, right there, 69 weeks of years, lines up perfectly from the decree to the entry of the Messiah, just like Gabriel said it would. Now these 69 weeks are broken up into two groupings, seven weeks and 62 weeks. The seven weeks would be 49 years, because seven times seven, seven weeks of years, so that would be 49 years, and that would be how long it took from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to Nehemiah finishing the walls. So it was right at that 49 year mark for that to accomplish, just like Gabriel said it would be. And then when we look at the 62 weeks, here's what we see. When we get to the, uh, those 49 years, gets us to the end of the Old Testament, that there is approximately 400 years of no new word from God, which would be from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. So there's 400 years-ish, uh, give or take a few uh, days or months. And then you have another 34 years, which would be the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So when we look at the 62 weeks of years, we get 434 plus the years that it took to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. Gabriel is spot on here. He is spot on with these first 69 weeks. These dates, nobody can, can question because we can prove that this is what he said, the decree happened, the time went by, the Messiah entered it plays out exactly how Gabriel told Daniel that it was going to happen. That ultimately the Messiah would be cut off. That's one of the things that he says as well. That after a week uh, being in Jerusalem, after that triumphal entry, that Jesus is hung on a cross, he is cut off. Just like Gabriel said that he was going to. Even to the point where everything that he had was removed from him. That when we look at Luke 23, 34, even the very shirt and clothing that he was wearing was taken by the Roman soldiers. He was completely cut off and died with nothing. So we get to this final week now. This is the thing that's in question, this final week. So we have 69 weeks that got us from the decree to Jesus uh, throughout his ministry, but we have one week left. So what's going on? Where are these last seven years at? Because obviously seven years has passed since Jesus died on the cross. What we need to understand, though, is that when Jesus is ascends back into heaven, it's almost as if God takes his thumb and he puts it on the stopwatch of Israel's clock and pauses things. So prophetically, this time period has paused. And what does that mean? We are in a period of grace. We always talk about it when we do communion, that the New Testament is a period of grace. It's the age of the church because in this moment, the the Jewish people rejected Jesus, but it allows the Gentiles to be grafted in, that it allows us that aren't Jewish by nature to be able to be brought into the family of God. And so we're in this period of grace that we don't know when it's going to end, except for the fact that when the church is raptured away, when the church is removed, all of a sudden that stopwatch starts again. And when we get to the book of Revelation, how long is the tribulation? Seven years. When God turns the stopwatch back on again, the Jewish people have seven more years. One week of years that remains. And during this time period, we're going to see God going to redeem and restore the Israelites, to bring them back in the proper relationship. Because, again, let's go back to our list from a moment ago. What's the purpose of these 70 uh, weeks of years? It is to finish the transgression. It is to make an end to sin. It is to make an atonement for iniquity. It is to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecies, and to anoint the most holy place. The Jewish people right now, they're looking for an ability of building another temple, but what they don't realize is that at this this end times, they're going to be able to experience God if they're in proper and right relationship with him. And so this is what's happening is that God's going to, uh, whenever he says it's time, he's going to hit that stopwatch button again, and this last week of years is going to begin the countdown. That there's a prince to come that Gabriel talks about. This prince to come is the little horn that we keep hearing reference in all these other dreams and visions, or ultimately the Antichrist, who is gonna make a seven-year covenant with the many. That we've heard it in this uh, book of Daniel, we've heard it in the book of Revelation, a time, times, and half a time. That's time is one year, times is two years, so that's three years, and half a time, half a year. So three and a half years into the uh, this week of years, halfway through, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, the Antichrist is going to break the peace treaty that he made, and he's going to walk into this newly constructed temple, and he's going to demand that the people worship him as God. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. When you look at world history, leader after leader, president after president, uh, king after king, has been trying to get peace in the Middle East and it doesn't happen. And their intentions are good, but when this actually happens, we're gonna be able to say that's the Antichrist. That's the the person. When they can bring complete and true uh, peace to that region. But even then, that's gonna fall three and a half years into it. So when we we look at this, we realize the fact of there is an abomination of desolation that's going to come that they're going to be deceived and it's going to be the matter of saying are you going to follow after god almighty or are you going to follow after this antichrist they're going to be given an opportunity yet again to be made right because god's about to erase sin from the world and when this terrible persecution happens the the jews that are in that middle east region they're going to be able to flee to the wilderness but uh ultimately here's the thing is that they're given this opportunity But right now, we're in the age of the church, and the beautiful thing is everybody has access to come into the family of God right now. It's not a Gentile thing. It's not a Jewish thing. It's the ability of everybody can, but this seven-year period is going to be all about trying to bring these people back in the proper relationship to fulfill this. Because again, when you hear this, this is uh, Gabriel uh, making the statement in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. That this is for his people. This 490-year time period is going to end at the end. And we're going to have the, the book of Revelation play itself out. We're going to have the uh, the tribulation play itself out. And what happens at the end of that seven years? Jesus Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. And it's an incredible thing. But here's the, the the last little tie I want to put on this. So Daniel is praying for all of this. We know that he's praying for it in year one of the... Uh, the rule of King Darius. And his prayers to God is what's getting him thrown into the lion's den. And if we remember while he's in the lion's den that he is protected and the mouths of the lions are shut. This is what I fully cannot prove. I think Gabriel appeared to Daniel while he was in the lion's den to tell him this. Again, I can't prove it. But I think this is one of those moments that when we look at John, when he receives the Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, that he receives it in a moment of high persecution in his own life. It feels so appropriate that as God foreshadows things in the Old Testament and then fulfills them in the New, that he would have Daniel praying and seeking and asking for repentance of the people and forgiveness from God, and that In this moment of persecution would be the moment where he would say, here's the countdown clock. Here's how I'm going to make your people right. That there will be a Messiah that comes. That there's going to be this uh, period of grace. That there's going to be this period of uh, this everlasting rule, this righteous rule that the people have always wanted. It's going to come, but this is how it's going to look. And I say all this today to encourage you with something that you can live a life of prayer and expectancy. That Daniel says, hey, let me read the scriptures. Let me see what God's saying. And wow, we're about to go home. Let me pray for forgiveness. Let me pray for repentance. Let me seek the will of God for my life. And he goes to prayer. He goes to the word. He goes to fasting. And the same thing can be true for you. If there's something going on in your life, don't just say, you know what? Well, well God can work that out. No, go deliberately to God and seek and pray and fast and hope that God will move, and believe that God will move, because God is able to do immeasurably more than we could even think or imagine. That God is orchestrating things behind the scenes and tying things together that we cannot yet even see. And Daniel experiences uh, Gabriel, regardless of if it's in the lion's or not, he experiences this Uh, visitation from Gabriel and this word from God in the same general time period where he's being persecuted for praying. And we can say, you know what? I'm just going to give God all the glory. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live righteous so I can see the hand of God and I can see God move in my life so that the people around me can experience Jesus. That at the end of the day is what it's all about. So I want to pray that you will be a person of prayer, of integrity, of righteousness, and will seek the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends as they listen to this right now. Lord, I pray the same spirit that was in Daniel that was desiring to see your kingdom come and your righteousness come to the people that the people would be restored to their land. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would move in them and you would give them a passion for your word, a passion to pray, a passion to supercharge their faith through fasting so that they could see you use them to accomplish your will. Lord, we thank you so much that you choose to use us. You could do it on your own, but you choose to use us. We thank you so much for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today, let's go ahead and end the way that we always do, and then let's go out and do this very thing. Would you say the Great Commission with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you again for joining me today as we study God's word. Whether you are watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, or streaming on Spotify, thank you for joining me today. Make sure that you like and subscribe. And if this stood out to you and you know someone who needs to hear this message, share it with them today so that God gets the glory. Have a great week, and I will see you next time for the next week of our Daniel study.